Welcome back to the Oklahoma Sports Extra podcast. I'm Eli Letterman back this week without Eric Bailey. He's off this week. But the good news is we've got a special guest with Patrick Prince, one of the sharpest minds in the Tulsa world newsroom, uh, among other things, our podcast guru. And Patrick is here to, to fill in for Eric, talk some Sooners. And uh, and I guess Eric, uh, excuse me, Patrick, this is your first appearance on the OU Sports Extra pod, am I, if I'm not mistaken. No, it, you're you're 100% right. You know, I do the, the OSU one. Uh, help out Barry Lewis on the high school and do the TU podcast. But my, uh, I, I listen to you guys every week, but my first appearance. So uh, I'm certainly no replacement for Eric, but thank you for having me. I look forward to it. Change of pace, man. We need, you know, just a little, little something a little different every week. I like it. That's right. And so, all right, on the OU front, uh, we're not even, I guess, 12. Yeah, no, not even 12 hours. It's, it's Friday morning. We're recording. Last night, Anton Harrison, OU offensive tackle. Uh, went in with the 27th overall pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I, I think the thing there with, with Anton was he was projected and, you know, from, from January on, it was going to be uh, a first or second round pick. And as, as the we got later in that first round last night with one less pick with the Dolphins having forfeited their first round pick, you were kind of thinking day two, but there he goes. Uh, some interesting numbers. He is uh, the first OU player drafted in the first round since 2020. That was C.D. Lamb and Kenneth Murray. First offensive lineman since Lane Johnson in 2013. And a, a number that jumped out to me, Patrick, and, you know, this is me being an outsider from the state, um, although none of it's a surprise. OU, which is, I think, has the fourth most all-time draft picks, has had a first-round pick in all but 11 of the last, like, 24 years, dating back to 2000. So this is a, a rich tradition, I guess, of producing first-round picks. Um, but it had been a few years. And so Anton Harrison goes. Leave some other intriguing names, Wande Morris, Marvin Mims, uh, among them to go, you know, later rounds and, and so on from there. But uh, I mean, Eric, you've watched this program. You're correct me if I'm wrong. Most of your your whole life, this this has become somewhat routine. These these first round picks. You, you call me Eric. I'm just not come on. <laughs> We're gonna keep it in there. It's gonna stay in there. That Eric will get a kick out of that because he usually calls me every name but my own. Uh, he has those. So that's uh, <laughs> we're keeping it in there. But, but hey, there there are worse things to be called than than Eric Bailey. I'll, I'll tell you that. So I'll, I will take that it's as a habit. And, you know, and I feel, you know, a little a little jerky for even pointing it out. But I thought it was kind of funny more than more than anything. Yeah. You know, it's I read your story uh, where you had that number. Uh, it was the the Bill Bedenboe story where you sort of talked about the impact of Bill Bedenboe. Um, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that by that number, frankly, but I kind of was a little surprised that they were quite that high. Um, but I don't I don't know if people quite get it, uh, Eli. When you stack up OU with any any metric you want to throw out, they're going to be that high on a lot of them. Um, so I guess, you know, it's kind of a dual answer. On, on one hand, I was maybe a little surprised, but but when you stop and think about it and think about the history, they're going to be up there with any metric you want to throw out. OU is going to be up there. Yeah, I mean, the only schools they trail historically on draft picks are Notre Dame, USC, and Ohio State. It's good company. <laughs> Behind them directly, Michigan and Alabama. But, you know, you, you mentioned Bill Biedenboe. That's to me, maybe the most interesting stat, and I didn't even throw it out there, was since he arrived in 2013, there have now been 10 offensive linemen from OU drafted, more than any other position from OU in that time span. 
And uh, we heard it from guys like Anton Harrison. And that's what I wrote about him and Chris Murray both spoke in the pre-draft process about what Bill, ba- you know, on, on top of Oklahoma, the name that carries when you walk into a, an interview with a pro team, Bill Beatonbow's name carries weight. And I, I think whether it's tonight, rounds two and three, or after that, you know, Wanya Morris is going to mark number 11 of, of the offensive linemen drafted uh, who have come, kind of been in uh, Bill Beatonbow's tree. And I think that's a testament, you know, we, we hear so often about how important he is. And, and you can see the numbers on, on some of the current NFL linemen and the amount of money his linemen have made <laughs> in the NFL. Um, but again, another kind of benchmark in, in terms of, of that coach and that development kind of pipeline at, at OU. You know, he, uh, Coach Biedenberg goes back to Bob Stoops' staff and his name would come up often during Bob Stoops' press conferences. You know, Stoops was real good about giving his coaches shout outs and the name Bill Biedenberg came up often. Um, you've been around him a little bit. What what makes him so good? I think, I mean, you hear it from the guy, the, the players, it's just the, the way he relates. Um, and you hear that a lot about, you know, assistant coaches and stuff. But, you know, talking to Anton Harrison, it was, you know, when he stepped into some of those, uh, you know, meetings with uh, executives or scouts and things like that, and they'd have him watching film or doing board work. He said that everything he's been doing with Bill Biedenboe prepared him exceptionally for that. And, and, and you also see just developmentally on with this program, how many, you know, linemen have developed from relative obscurity into NFL draft picks who go on to sign mega deals in, in the pros. I mean, that, that list is long. Um, and, and so I, I think there is just, you know, he's got something clearly, but it's, it's an ability to relate. And the way he approaches things seems to really line up, uh, not just with success at the college level, but also reaching the pros. And, you know, I'd say bigger picture, you mentioned, you know, he's a, a name that Bob Stoops brought up so much for, for him to be that point of continuity at such an obvious position. I mean, how many programs in the country every fall are dying for a quality offensive line and are held back by a, an offensive line that, that is struggling? The fact that Brent Venables got to arrive and last year it was one of their, if not their best position groups. So I, I, I think that continuity he's provided around a program that has changed so much since he's arrived um, is critical. And, uh, you know, as we're talking about this spring, we'll get to spring camp, an offensive line that was in a bit of flux this spring. There does not seem to be a calmer, you know, steerer of the ship than Bill Biedenboe. Uh, and, I, you know, again, we'll, we'll see another draft pick, I think, tonight, if not Saturday, one year more is and his count will keep growing. But Eric, uh, come on. Patrick, twice. That's twice. <laughs> three strikes on him out. You get just you just get to do the rest of the podcast together. Uh, Patrick, <laughs> uh, spring camp is closed, but this week there were, you know, another housekeeping news. Two wide receivers headed to the program. One, Brennan Thompson making that Red River flip, transferring in from Texas. It was widely anticipated um, in terms of, uh, he was at the spring game and, and had given kind of every indication that, that he might be coming to Norman. The other one came yesterday, uh, and that's going to be a 2024 commit, Zion Kearney from Missouri City, Texas. Big-time receiver, 12th-ranked receiver in his class, 64th overall recruit, uh, and far and away the, kind of the highest-rated recruit that OU has, uh, has a verbal pledge from now for the class of 24 that is now up to six commits and is growing. And we know um, after last year what the Sooners did, they were kind of slow-moving to start in the 2023 class, they finished it exceptionally strong, fifth-ranked recruiting class in the country, whole thing. So they're building toward that again. Um, but two interesting additions, and it's worth noting that two two additions that come, uh, again, under first-year receivers coach Emmett Jones, who has 
uh, seemingly made his impact. He came in on top of all of his other experience as a, a noted recruiter. And the fact that they've brought Brennan Thompson in uh, from, from Texas and, and all of the potential he brings, and they seemingly, uh, they've already got two wide receivers committed to the class of 24. Um, pretty big, but Eric, I'll ask you first on context. That's three, three times. Oh my God. We really might need to cut this. Uh, this we'll just, Prince. Let's, I mean, we're still, so, uh, I am, I freely admit, I mean, there, there are much worse things to be called than, than Eric. Um, so, but why don't we create, you know, for those listening, uh, maybe a little bingo game here. And every time you hear Eric, you know, we can cross off the bingo card. And so far we're up to three, but, uh, you know, anyway, I'm sorry. You're well, not catching that time. No, you caught it. I caught myself. But okay. if I if we do a dollar every time I call you Eric, soon enough I'll be able to come to Tulsa and buy you lunch. Uh, <laughs> That's right. That's right. But, you know, from the context of an OU Texas transfer or vice versa, it's believed there's only been one other player in kind of the modern era uh, to have played for both schools. Uh, and I'm going to filibuster while I, I dive back into that history. But Pretty rare. And, and uh, you know, I, I think something that in the transfer portal era, we've seen Trace Ford go from Oklahoma State to Oklahoma, now a Texas guy coming to OU. Things that might have felt taboo might be becoming more of the norm. That's that's a great point, uh, Eli. Uh, notice I called you by your right name. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, Sorry, couldn't help myself. No, that's fair. Remember, you know how kind of the older generation NBA players kind of give the newer generation NBA players a hard time? Because it, it seems like in the NBA now, everybody just – it doesn't matter if you're competitors or not. They want to play with their friends. And so you have, you know, like when, you know, just – well, there's examples all over the place. But, you know, it's not like what it was. And you hear like, you know, Magic Johnson saying, you think I would have ever joined the Celtics? You know, or, or you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Is college football headed that way? Whereas you would never think in a million years that an OSU player would transfer to OU. Uh, and now you have, you know, and even maybe even more unthinkable, a Texas player going to, to OU. But that's just, it's kind of the way of the world now, right? I think so. And I don't, you know, I think you could, this is a, a you know, a way larger debate, right? Like you mentioned the NBA, that's it, like the existential crisis, quote unquote, of the NBA, although I think they're doing just fine. Um, and it, it's here in the transfer portal era. There's probably a lot of folks who see that as, you know, a dissension into a, a different era of college sports. But at the same time, you know, Trace Ford being an example, that's an Oklahoma kid from Edmond who wanted to be close to home and, and also, you know, either wanted or needed a change of, of scenery. And maybe five, six years ago or 10, 15, 20 years ago, that wouldn't have been possible with transfer rules and, and might have been even more taboo than it is now. And so I think that, you know, there's good and bad in it, but I think uh, certainly also some excitement. I mean, that, come on, there's something cool about the idea of a guy flipping bedlam and, and going back and forth. Yeah. Uh, Trace Ford is, he's been great, you know, in terms of saying, I, I love my time up there, love everyone, but I'm looking forward to that bedlam game. And I'm sure if we see more of this, that's only going to pour fuel on a, on what is going to be an evolving rivalry in the next few years with, with OU on the move. But I wanted to be sure I had this right. It was offensive lineman Paul Moriarty who began his career in the late 1980s at Texas before spending two seasons with the Sooners in 91 and 92. And he is believed to be, in the modern era, the only football player to play for both schools. Uh, if anyone out there wants to fact check us there, please do. We'd appreciate it. Um, but beyond the Bedlam, or excuse me, the Red River Flips, it is a, a, a significant ad for the Sooners. And, and now we can kind of dive into that post-spring camp 
discussion. But one of the questions that has been left unanswered, I think, is, is really where the, the Sooners will get production at wide receiver next year. You know, Drake Stoops and Jaleel Farouk are, are going to be the leaders of that room on the field and off it. But behind them, OU returns only five receptions from a year ago. And so for all the talent in that group, Andrew Anthony, the Michigan transfer, DJ Graham converted defensive back, Gavin Freeman, Jaden Gibson, uh, and, and now Brennan Thompson. Loads of potential, but no one who has yet proven themselves in an OU uniform fully. And also no one who I don't think really took hold uh, or, or showed anything to distinguish themselves in the spring game. So that at least you know stands among the big questions. But Brennan Thompson's a big ad, and, and he brings speed. Uh, and and another guy loaded with potential to that wide receivers room, but when you look at that offense for next year, you would you would wonder still about the wide receivers and who's really going to produce. I, I I don't look at it with with the eye, Eli, that you have you know far more than I do. But just from my perspective, I don't I don't know if I worry about OU and receivers. They always seem to find them. They always seem to someone. There's there's always seems to be someone you're not looking at kind of develop. They just they just seem to always kind of find the guys. There's there's the guys you know, um, you know, but then there there always seems to be some guys who develop too. Is that kind of? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right, and that's what that would be the optimistic view on this group is because again, you know, you look at a room that has Jaden Gibson, who physically has everything. He's big, tall, fast, has it all. You could sit here right now in the last week of April and say that that's going to be the guy. And you could say the same, you know, go down the list. I think the question that will probably remain into the early weeks of the season is who is that surprise guy, the guy we're not thinking about going to be? And maybe they know that in that room. Uh, perhaps they don't. Um, and maybe they feel really confident that Brennan Thompson, who he had only one catch last year as a freshman at, at Texas, but maybe they project a bigger role for him. But I, I think you're right. They, they've got a history and a track record of finding those guys. But as of right now, you're looking at Jaleel Farouk, who I think, you know, Jeff Levy made no bones about it. He said, I, all my best offenses have had a thousand yard receivers, at least one. And they're expecting that for Jaleel Farouk and Drake Stoops. You know, last year, they didn't really need to go too, too far beyond Stoops, Mims and Farouk. So maybe they don't need the deepest cast, but they, they certainly need uh, at least a guy or two to, to step into a bigger role. And uh, I, I think because we, we didn't really get that question answered, so to speak, this spring, um, it's going to be another place that, that we're going to be wondering about all the way into the season. I mean, other spots? Well, go ahead, please. Uh, so who would you put your money on? Who, Just based on what you've seen and what you've heard, if you had to say this guy might develop into, into that guy, who who is it? I think they're, that Andrew Anthony, the Michigan transfer, will get every opportunity in that kind of third spot. I mean, he, he was kind of part of that first team depth on Saturday. He's probably the most experienced of these guys, even if his experience is still relatively thin. A lot of his stats really come from one big game against Michigan State a few years ago. But where I think he really fits in and why he'll get opportunities, he fits the role Jaleel Farouk had a year ago. When Marvin Mims was the number one guy, Jaleel Farouk was your speedy playmaker. I think at times was their most productive playmaker. And they would have him running you know, in motion, jet sweeps, finding ways to put the ball in the fastest guy's hands. And I think, and I'd imagine this is kind of where Andrew Anthony's biggest role could come is in Jeff Levy getting really creative with how to use him. Uh, and so I've put my money on him, but he also, again, is not, they don't have a guy who has caught, you know, 40 passes for, for 700 yards and four touchdowns in a season waiting in that depth. So they're, what they're expecting, whether it's Andrew Anthony or, or anyone beyond him, 
is a guy to do something he hasn't done before. And I think that's where there'd be at least mild concern, but that's just the unknown. And every year on a college roster, we see guys who haven't done it before, who we weren't expecting to step up. So I'd put my money on Andrew Anthony, but it wouldn't shock me to see a guy we're not maybe putting at the top of that list also emerge and, and maybe inside those walls, they know that already. So I, I really enjoyed watching Marvin Mims's career. And it was a little interesting because I feel like at times, OU kind of forgot they had Marvin Mims. Um, but I really, really enjoyed watching him. What do you think his pro prospects are? It's interesting. I think he's a guy that is all about fit. And, uh, you know, when we spoke to him at Pro Day, he, he was saying the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys were really interested. It jumped out to me that, you know, I don't know what to read into these things, but it was a scout or representative from the, the New York Giants that ran his receiver drill. And then he visited. Uh, he, he went to New York a few weeks ago before the draft, made, uh, you know, one of those visits uh, with the Giants. So I, I really think a guy like him, he's got blazing speed. He has the ability to make some incredible catches. I, I think, you know, whether it was, you know, related to, to him or to the way OU used him. I agree that it seemed like there were times they forgot they had a guy like him or maybe defenses knew what they had there and, and smothered him up and said, beat us elsewhere. But I think the right team, there's no reason that, that he can't be a really productive and useful guy because he has that skill set. I mean, he I don't know if it's one for one, but I, I talk about the way Jaleel Farouk was used a year ago. Why couldn't an NFL offense use a speedy guy like him in, in different ways, the way offenses are operating now? So I'm excited to see where he goes. I, I, I would guess he might be the next guy off the board. Again, it's Friday morning uh, for, for OU, and, and I think it's going to be him or Juan A. Morris tonight who, who goes, and, and uh, I'll be very curious to see what an offense chooses to do with him. So uh, we talked about kind of, you know, the, the post-camp outlook a, a little bit. Um, is the portal still open? Does OU kind of need to – they have some needs to address there, you think? Yeah, this portal window is going to open and they're, you know, Brent Venables last week, he got asked before the spring game, what, what are you guys going to address? And he said, I know what we're going to address. I'm not telling you, but um, they they have a sense, I think, of what they need to go after. And, you know, if you ask me, wide receiver, maybe they're, they're already done. Like, they, I think they needed to go get someone and they got Brennan Thompson days after. And, and so that could be complete. The other spots I'd look at, you know, one is, is running back. And that's really interesting position in that they have spoken this spring about the talent they've got between Javante Barnes, Gavin Sawchuk, and Marcus mm -hmm. Major, and yeah. so on, and, and the two uh, freshmen, Dalen Smothers and Caleb Hicks, where I would have, where, where my reservations are there is not on any of those one guys, but the fact that they maybe similar to that depth at wide receiver, there's not a running back on this roster who has carried an offense for 12 games. Uh, Gavin Sawchuk and Javante Barnes both impressed as freshmen a year ago. Marcus Major has always flashed his talent, but has not really played a full season yet at OU, and he's he's been there since 2019. So you're you're again either expecting a guy to do something he's never done before, and and shoot, I I could be proven wrong. We'll, we'll go back to this tape in October when Gavin Sawchuk or Javante Barnes is that lead lead back uh, who's carrying 25 times a game, but they don't have a, an established proven lead running back, and I, so I, I would wonder. If maybe they try to bring in a veteran there, it's easier said than done. Um, you know, it's it's like looking for a you know a lefty DH in in baseball. Like everyone would kill to have one, but they don't grow on trees. Same with the offensive line. I mean, they it's funny for as hobbled as they were, and it was the reason, in large part, that they went to that funky spring game format. Is that the offensive line was was pretty beat up. They were able to start four of the five guys that you'd expect them to start on September second with Arkansas State. Walter Rouse, the Stanford transfer, being the exception. So you throw him in. 
that starting unit looks pretty good, but I do think their depth was tested this spring, and that would be an indication. Uh, and, and also the fact that they've, they've contacted some offensive linemen who've hit the portal that they want to add there depth-wise, whether for, for 2023 or the future. And then I look at linebacker, where Danny Stutzman looks established, and, and Jaron Kanick, the sophomore, is really exciting. But similar to running back, uh, the, the depth they will rely on as they stand is young. Kip Lewis was great in the spring game. Kobe McKenzie is really promising, but both of them are sophomores who haven't played a whole lot. You'd wonder if they can find a guy who has played three or four years, doesn't need to come take anyone's job, doesn't need to be your Danny Stutzman replacement. You've got the Big 12's leading tackler from a year ago right there. But a, a, an experienced bit of depth might benefit them there. But I'd say on the whole, the defense, uh, contrary to how you might have felt in you know as late as December 2022 in the Cheez-It Bowl, the defense appears kind of restocked and resettled. And I don't know that they feel like they need to add a ton more there, which uh, if you're an OU fan and you know that Brent Venable is going to hang his hat on a defense, you've, you've got to be excited about that. Okay. I have to ask you about Jackson Arnold, your, your, mm -hmm. impression, your impressions of him uh, in the spring game. It was, I think, I don't know. I wouldn't say everything you'd would have wanted to see if you were an OU fan, but you saw the promise. I mean, he can throw a football. He did, you, all you had to do was watch Denton Geyer last year to know that or some of these spring practices. He threw a beautiful touchdown pass to, to Gavin Freeman in the final minutes, found Jaden Gibson on that two-point two conversion, the very last play of the game. Jaden Gibson dropped it. Uh, he had that run. I mean, he showed you everything he's got. And at the same time, he showed you at times that he looks like an 18-year-old kid who should be in the spring semester of a senior year of high school. I mean, he threw into the, the defensive line a bunch and, and just showed – those little things and he said afterward, there were the, the butterflies, as anyone would expect. I mean, the, the expectations for him are so outsized that you forget maybe, you know, kind of where he is. It's, he's, he's several months into just being on campus. And so I think it was sort of the perfect thing. He got thrown into the fire. He showed the promise and he showed that there's plenty of work to be done. And uh, for all the expectation externally, I mean, there are folks maybe listening or, or certainly people I've, I've interacted with or heard on the radio talking about. He should be the, the day one starter over fifth-year quarterback Dylan Gabriel. I, I think this showed the, the people in the stands and the people who tuned in that there's levels to this and that it's no indictment of Jackson Arnold that he's not stepping in day one. But I'd also say it's a really strong indication that he seems to be their, their number two. He took, after Dylan Gabriel, it was Jackson Arnold who took the most snaps by a wide margin. And that should be an indication of where he stands going into the fall. Um, but but the other flip side is like I, I do think, and we're, we might have to have this conversation all throughout the fall. Dylan Gabriel, for all the, the potential you know shortcomings and this and that, should be appreciated because a, a lot of programs we, we talk about experience, and in this portal COVID extra eligibility era, uh, we talk so often about the experience and how important it is to have old guys on your team. Dylan Gabriel is that fifth-year quarterback, and, and whether you have an issue with his deep ball or his accuracy, a lot of teams would kill to have a guy with that experience going into the fall. And, and on an offense that's changing so much, having a guy like him is, I think, critically important. But I think you would have overall liked what you saw from Jackson Arnold in terms of what he can do on the field uh, in that spring game. Yeah. You want to chat a little baseball, softball? You know what? Can we hit hoops first? Let's We're hit gonna, Let's hit yeah, let's, let's do that. Uh, let's dive into the hoops because Porter Moser's kind of retooled. Uh, it was only earlier this month that it was up to seven guys out the door into the portal or, or the draft, guys who could have returned, along with Tanner Groves, who, who had no eligibility left. So eight guys gone from this roster. And despite the fact that I think for a lot of the season, you would have heard OU fans saying, I don't want to see a whole lot of this team back next year. 
it looked pretty precarious a few weeks ago, but they've added now four guys in the portal. Uh, yesterday was, uh, I'm going to make sure I have the name right, Latrey Darthard comes from Utah Valley. Uh, he joins Javion McCullum, who, who looks to be kind of that Grant Sherfield scoring replacement at guard to replace Grant Sherfield. Uh, John Hughley is going to be a big man. Rivaldo Suarez comes from Oregon. And, and now you've kind of got the makings, at least what this roster will look like. You know, it, it's too hard to project right now, uh, you know, what what kind of caliber they bring. And, you know, this time last year we would have been uh, talking about the impact Joe Banisil might have as an example. And, and he was a transfer who didn't pan out at OU, just couldn't carve a role. So we can't say you know, who right now will or won't be those guys, but they've, they've retooled. And I, I think if you're Porter Moser, you've got to be building every bit of momentum into year three. It's a really important year three. And they've seemingly improved on some weaknesses they had a year ago, replaced the guys they've got to replace. And they've still got two scholarships left. And so they, the, the picture of where they're going to be when they tip off in November is becoming clearer. And I really do think, you know, we can get to what impact each of these guys might have eventually, and we'll see it. But just having this roster complete, not going into May with, you know, five open spots is a win for this program, even if that might be further off the pace than people would like. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. Um, and so we'll see. They got two more. They've had some people on campus. Uh, I think they still got to find a Jalen Hill replacement in a sense of, of a kind of a, a versatile athletic forward who can defend. They had Keyshawn Johnson from San Diego State who might fit that bill um, on campus this week. Uh, and so we'll see. But Eric, moving on. Come on, that's four. That's four. Patrick Prince. That's right. four. <laughs> that's at least a cheap drink. I'll come buy you a drink uh, in Tulsa. Um, Patrick Prince, we move on to the Diamond Sports. Both uh, OU baseball and softball hosting Kansas this weekend. Um, on the softball front, business as usual. They've won 34 straight. They uh, have not lost since mid-February. And with three wins this weekend, a sweep, which they've swept every Big 12 series they've played, uh, they will claim their 11th consecutive regular season conference title. So the dominance continues for Patty Gasso and Co. Patrick, I don't know that there have been – I mean, comparing runs is hard, but in your lifetime, more consistent dominance from an OU team over like a three-year stretch than this, can you think of? Wow. I mean – Boy, it'd be hard, Eli. I'm. I. It's. Uh, yeah. It's. It, it'd be hard. I. I can't. I mean, it's. I mean, they. I mean, they just really, really got it going. I mean, I. I don't know how else to say it. They're just. They're just so good, so dominant. Top level coach, top talent, all the confidence in the world. I mean, they just. They're just. You know. They just so so got it going. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, on the comparison front, you know, it's kind of apples to oranges, but I don't know that the you could look at any, you know, stretch of football uh, or, or perhaps any other program, but I, I don't know the level of dominance where it is. Yeah, there's not many teams, even, in you know, in, in our business where you can feel bullish about a team that you would say you expect them to go take three games, no problem. But you look at a series like this weekend and you, you know what's on the line, another conference title, which they could get next weekend if they don't this weekend. But there's nothing about that's where they're at. They're at a point where you you just uh, there's nothing to suggest they won't take the next three games because there's been nothing about the last 34 games that would suggest beyond maybe that one against Texas where where even then they show just how inevitable they are. They can go into the last inning down a few runs and, and erase it no sweat. Um, so Patty and Gasso and Co still rolling. 
we will Eric Bailey will have he's not here today, but he will have a pretty um extensive dive into Patty Gasto coming out in a few weeks or, or Patrick, when, when's that coming out? I let me hear I'm mistaken. I'm glancing at my calendar here. Yeah. I I believe it's May 7th, Eli, I think. Exciting. Well, that'll be right around that's that coincides with Bedlam, which uh a little air taken out of that with Oklahoma State hitting a bit of a snag, but it's going to be a fun one up in Stillwater next weekend. Might not have the Big 12 title stakes that we had all expected at this point. Um, it would take OU slipping up for that to be the case, but um, turns out, once again, the two of the best college softball programs in the country reside in this state. So we'll have an exciting one next weekend. Well, Eric Bailey's big takeout on Patty Gasso to look forward to, um, and I think a whole lot more softball to watch these next couple months. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned Eric's story. He's been, you know, he he got a one-on-one -on -one sit down with Coach Gasso, which apparently is not the easiest thing to get. Um, so we appreciate her time um, doing that. And Eric talked to a host of a whole bunch of people as well. Um, and Eric, you know, Eric Bailey knows how to write a story. So th this is going to be a must read, uh, certainly for any anybody interested in uh, OU but I would dare say probably anybody just interested in sports and a good story. And, you know, our our boss, Jason Collington, loves to say, you know, the story. When are we going to write the story on whoever? So uh, this is going to be the Patty Gasso story. So really looking forward to it. No pressure, Eric. Do your best. We're going to love it. <laughs> we'll finish with baseball who return home. They got washed out in the middle of the week, but return home after – what could be either, I guess that's, that's the point of this weekend and in the weeks ahead, either a season-defining or season-turning-around sweep at Texas, their first-ever sweep there, a really big uh, win over a 14th-ranked Longhorns team, three straight. They just went down to Austin and manhandled. And, and for an OU team that had struggled so much uh, and, and really kind of not had the consistency they had a year ago, it was big, and now they come home for Kansas, and and the question is, can they replicate it and keep it up? And it's a little bit later than a year ago, and they're probably in a slightly worse spot or had been before Texas. But either this is going to be the team, like it was a year ago, that turns it on at just the right time, and, mm -hmm. and this would be entering the final weeks of the season, headed to the Big 12 tournament in the postseason, or um, as has been the pattern this year, a team that's loaded with talent just hasn't quite had that consistency uh, and so we'll see where they finish this weekend. See, I think it's going to be really telling about where they are, if they can come out and take care of business or if it's going to be a bit more of the same. So what's, what's your gut tell you on that? Are they going to kind of pull it together and kind of make a little bit little bit of a run here? Or, I mean, what do you think? I think, you know, they've had some poor luck and things are turning in that respect. You know, Dakota Hudson uh, has been a, one of the big impact transfers. He was out a few weeks and that coincided with some of their slides and inconsistency. Uh, th that's been the case across the board. They've had some tough injury luck where I don't, and I don't think this is an indictment on this year's team, but you look at last year's team and what they had, they had four guys who were drafted as pitchers and that kind of pitching. I don't, I wouldn't say papers over, but when you have that kind of pitching, you have the ability to turn things around like they did last year to be as consistent as they were a year ago. Same. And, and those guys are all tearing it up at, at the minor league level now. And, and same with the, the, the hitters, they lost some really important pieces. Jimmy Crooks being one of them. Uh, Peyton Graham, another. Those are all guys. They, they lost, I believe, 11 guys to the MLB draft from last year's team. Mm. And they've done a really good job replacing them. I think guys like Bryce Madron, Anthony McKenzie, uh, Dakota Hudson, as I mentioned, you, they, they've done well. 
I just think trying to replace that many guys and trying to replicate what they did a year ago is always going to be a tall task. And and that might be the reality of this season is that there's plenty of talent here and we've seen it in flashes and maybe next year is the year to look at this group. But if they don't turn it around and this year just ends, you know, around 500 or just short of, of their goals, I don't think it's, it's such a, uh, again, an indictment of this team to, to compare them to last year because it was just such a stark drop-off. And and you'd hope for, for Skip Johnson and co. that the, the building is toward next year then. Yeah, fair enough. Well, Patrick finally <laughs> got it right. Patrick Prince, we will wrap it up there. It's been a pleasure to have you. I hope we'll have you back, perhaps even with Eric and I at some point. Uh, but we'll do it there. You can find us, as always, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, TulsaWorld.com, everywhere you get your podcasts. We'll be back. Eric Bailey will be back. Hopefully, I hope he comes back for another edition of the OU Sports Extra podcast. Thanks for listening.